Hi, hello, welcome back to Girl You Haven't Heard, a podcast and YouTube series where we discuss true crime and black history from a decolonial critical perspective and most importantly without all of the propaganda. This week we are discussing the disappearance of Astra and Milan Johnson from the Bahamas. But before we get into that, I just want to remind you all that I do have a Patreon that you can subscribe to if you're looking to get content early or you're just looking to support the work that I'm doing here on the podcast. The link will be down in the description. Okay, so let's get into this week's case. So, Michael Johnson met and fell in love with a woman named Dizelle, and together they welcomed four beautiful children into the world. They had two boys named Cruz and Morgan, and two girls named Ostra and Milan. Now, at some point, it's kind of unclear when this started to happen or what really happened, but their relationship began to go left, um, and the pair became estranged and decided to separate in early 2014. Two decided to separate. The four Johnson children remained in the care of Michael and would go for regular visits with Dizelle. Now, this stuck out to me because it's not often that you see fathers get full custody, especially of all four children, and especially when two of them are girls. So, like I mentioned, they would go on regular visits with Dizelle, but on one of these occasions when the children were to return home, they didn't. The last time the four children would be spotted all together was on July 30th of 2014. Now, Ostra Milan and their brothers Cruz and Morgan were what is now referred to as parentally abducted by their non-custodial parent, their mother, from Nasa, Bahamas in July of 2014. Now, the island of the Bahamas is not very big, and so if the children had remained on the island, it would not have been hard to locate them and bring them back home. But when they were first taken, Michael was able to determine that Dizelle had brought them and herself to Halifax, Nova Scotia. Why they came to Halifax is kind of unclear. I'm assuming it's just because it was quite far, and it would be difficult to locate their exact whereabouts. So when Michael first confirmed that the children and their mother were in Halifax, he got a lawyer immediately. He also reached out to Canadian police, the Department of Global Affairs, the Canadian Centre for Child Protection and Child Welfare Services. And he figured that with the overarching legal power of these Canadian-based governmental groups, it would be easy for someone to locate his children. This would not be the case, but... I understand the line of thinking, like it totally makes sense as a parent why you would do this. He also applied to the Hague Convention, which is a treaty which provides international legal grounds for the return of a child or children who were abducted by a parent. But his application was successful and he was given the grounds to have the children returned to him immediately if they were spotted anywhere by anyone. Now, throughout 2014, Johnson had remained in somewhat regular contact with the children through phone calls and Skype calls. He knew that they weren't being physically harmed in any way, but he had no idea where they were, what they were doing, or why Dizelle had taken them in the first place. It was kind of a whole big mystery, and he and his, the rest of his family were quite confused. Now, despite the power that the groups he reached out to help seemed to wield, they were unable to locate the children. 
bringing up the age-old question, why are these organizations and these groups given so much money and power if they are unable to execute and complete the main purpose of their existence? It is believed that Dizelle and the children remained in Halifax, Nova Scotia for most of 2014. Now, in the summer of 2015, authorities were able to trace banking records to Dizelle in London, Ontario. After their location had been confirmed, a court ordered that Dizelle nor the children leave London. If she did not listen to said order, there was potential for arrest. On June 2nd of 2015, there was a well-being check done, which made clear that Dizelle had left London. The court order didn't do anything to stop her. It was obviously not a deterrent, and the potential for arrest obviously did not scare her. But this time, she only fled with the two young girls, Astra and Milan. She left Morgan and Cruz, who were preteens at the time, with a stranger in London, Ontario. Upon hearing that the boys were left alone, Michael immediately flew to Ontario to reunite with his children. He was hopeful that Austria and Milan would be located before it was time to return to the Bahamas, and he even purchased two plane tickets for them. However, on June 8, 2015, Michael, Morgan, and Cruz had to return back home without the girls and without their mother. Michael says it was very difficult for the boys to return to the Bahamas, and they blamed him for a lot of the situation. Why they blamed him, it's unclear, but they missed their mother and their sister deeply. Once they arrived back home, there was extreme difficulty for both boys adjusting back to the island life in comparison to their Canadian life that they had experienced. Now, Ostra, Milan, and Dizelle have not been seen since the summer of 2015. They were last seen in the greater Toronto area, and it is believed that the trio remains somewhere in Ontario, and if not in Ontario specifically, they remain somewhere in Canada. A part of the lack of urgency to find them, in my opinion, relates back to the fact that they are little girls with their mother. It is assumed that they are safe and well taken care of. In my opinion, again, this is not always the case and you cannot always just assume things like that, especially since no one has seen or spoken to the girls directly in seven years, whether it be in person or over a Skype call or on the phone. The last contact Ostra, Milan, and Dizelle would have with Michael, Morgan, or Cruz was in 2015. All Skype calls stopped shortly after their location had been pinpointed to London, Ontario. During these calls, Michael did attempt to figure out where they were, but it was difficult because the children didn't even know where they were. It was after the contact completely stopped that he decided to take the best steps he thought possible to get the children back home safely. In 2018, Morgan and Cruz wrote letters to their mother and their sisters in an international campaign attempt to get the three of them back home. Cruz, who was 15 at the time, wrote extensively about how much he missed them and he loved them and how he didn't understand why they had to be separated in the first place. He wished that they could all be together, whether it be in Canada or back in the Bahamas where he now was. Morgan, who was 13 at the time, wrote that 
it had been over two years since he had last seen or spoken to his mother or his sisters. And he really, really missed them. And he acknowledged that everybody missed them. It wasn't just him. He said that it would mean the world if he could just hear their voices and just talk to them again. Just know that they were okay, know that they were safe, and have the relationship that they once had. The close-knit relationship that they once had. Now, Michael did an interview in 2018 with Global News where he states that he dreams about the girls often. He said, it feels like a part of him is missing without having them near. And I'm sure that this feeling is only amplified because all contact has been cut off since 2015. Every day, he wishes that the girls would find a way to contact him. He wonders how they are and what they're like now that they've grown up. In another interview, Michael states that his new wife and new puppy had helped the boys acclimate back to island life, but that nothing can take the place of their sisters or their mother. He also notes that both girls and their mother are deeply missed by their extended family back home. Now we are getting into the part of the podcast where I share what you can do to help. So I know there's not a lot of information in this case, but what you can do is share the information that is out there or any information that has been provided in this podcast. Also note the descriptions of the children. So Ostra is a black girl who was born on February 28th, 2008. She was six years old at the time of her disappearance with long black hair and dark brown eyes. It is estimated that Ostia was around four foot two and 80 pounds at the time of her disappearance. Now Milan is also a visibly black child who was born on June 15th, 2011. She was two years old at the time of her disappearance and had black hair that was on the shorter side. She also has dark brown eyes and at the time of her disappearance, it is estimated that she was around 30 pounds and about three feet tall. Since they have been missing for so long, it is possible that they are going by different names. But what those names are, no information is out there regarding that, which is unfortunate. But it is highly likely that their names are quite different from their birth names as an eff- in an effort to keep them hidden. If you are in the greater Toronto area, keep an eye out for these girls. Since they have been missing for so long, the pictures of them are not what they currently look like, but it might give an idea into what they currently look like. Also, it's important to note that 80% of child abductions are committed by a parent, according to the Canadian Centre for Child Protection. These cases are brushed off in comparison to abductions committed by strangers or non-parental figures. Many believe that there is hidden motivation behind parental abductions, such as custodial issues, the parent who took the child or children doing so for the well-being of the kids, or wanting to start over without the headache of an ex-partner. But the way that Cruz and Morgan were abandoned creates a point of concern and should remain a justification for the urgency to locate the missing girls. If you know something, say something. It has been seven going on eight years since the girls have gone missing. The police continue to be extremely ineffective when it comes to solving cases in general, but especially cases like this, 
despite the immense amounts of funding and resources that they have at their disposal. If you have seen, spoken to, or heard from Dizelle, Ostja, or Milan, you can submit those tips anonymously either by phone to 1-866-543-8477 or online at www.missingkids.ca. Both the phone number and the link will be in the description. So now we have come to the part of the case where we discuss my thoughts. And overall, this case was extremely frustrating to research. There was minimal information, like very little to none at all. And all of the articles that are out there say more or less the same thing. It's been seven years and there are only a handful of articles written. And based on the fact that a few of the articles said that Michael's statements came from emails, it had me wondering if he emailed these individuals or emailed these news outlets asking for articles to be written in order to garner more attention around the case to, in an effort to get his daughters home. To me, it's frustrating that the police insist on needing public assistance to solve this case or locate the girl. If they cannot be located without public assistance, then it's almost like the funding that goes towards missing peoples should not be given to the police. There were no images online about what the girls might potentially look like at this point. Meanwhile, I have seen this done countless of times for non-Black people, and yet in the two cases I have released regarding missing Black girls, it hasn't been done. They have been missing for a number of years, and an image like that would be extremely beneficial, especially since public assistance is required to make sure the girls are safe and okay, the public has to know who they're looking for, because the pictures from seven years ago are not going to look like how the kids look like now, like kids grow fast. Also, a lot of the articles or missing persons descriptions describes the girls as black women or black females. I found that extremely infuriating, like they were literally six and two at the time of their disappearance. That's the literal definition of children. Potentially, you could even call them babies. But even in their disappearance, they are being adultified unnecessarily, which is something that happens all too often to black girls, especially in situations where they are what would be considered a victim. A lot of this case is extremely confusing to me. The reason why she fled all of a sudden with all four children is not clear. Why she left the two boys with a stranger and took the girls in the summer of 2015 is also not clear. How they were able to pinpoint the location of the boys but not of the girls and their mother does not make any sense to me at all. If they have been in the GTA for the past couple of years, like these articles claim, then they would have had to been enrolled in school or some sort of extracurricular activities, right? Like, would that not be a way to find them and to pinpoint their location once again? They'd have to be living somewhere, so there should be a rental agreement or legal paperwork or, of some sort, which you'd think the police would have access to. She'd have to be working somewhere, you know? Like, I'm just having a very hard time believing that there is no trail of any sort, 
just knowing how things typically work in the GTA. Typically, the missing children will be taken away from Canada, not brought to Canada. With the amount spent on police funding and court orders, you'd think we'd have more answers for Michael than we don't know, we still don't know, and we can't do anything unless people decide to help us. That is not beneficial for quite literally anyone in this situation. It also makes me believe that the onus to locate missing persons should not be with the police since they require such public assistance like at almost every missing persons case. Why are you getting paid to do something that you are asking other people to do for free? Make it make sense. Michael, Cruz, and Morgan all deserve answers. Cruz and Morgan deserve to have that conversation with their mother about why they were abandoned, and they all deserve to be in contact with and see the girls again. There's no reason for them to be separated especially since there doesn't seem to be any allegations of abuse on the part of Michael. It just is coming off like Dizelle did not want him to have the four children. But again, there might be more to the story, but because there's such limited information out there, it's hard to tell. And it's hard to report genuinely what happened. But I felt that this case was really important to talk about because it's two little missing black girls who have not been heard from in seven years. That is a long time, and that has to change. Their family deserves to know that they're safe, and that they're taken care of, and that they're happy. There's no reason that they should still be in hiding, and there's no reason that Dizelle should have taken them in the first place from the island when she was getting regular visitation with them. And it was visitation unsupervised. So Michael wouldn't even be there. It was just quality time between her and her kids. It doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't have to make sense to me because I'm not the one who did it. But I just want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Girl You Haven't Heard, where we talked about the kidnapping of Ostra and Milan Johnson by their mother, Dizelle Johnson. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week.